We have been in full-time ministry, as I said, for 32 years, worked at several different churches. I've served on the boards of churches. I've taught Sunday school. My wife has as well. Everywhere we've been, we've worked with, with kids. Everywhere we've been, we've worked with kids. We've raised two boys of our own who are now grown, uh, both serving with us here in ministry. You know Micah, who leads our worship. He's also serving as our youth pastor now. Andrew works and does all of the media stuff that you see. Um, so we've not only been working hands-on with, with children and young people in church settings, we've also raised two kids of our own. So I'm not standing up here as someone without experience and without knowledge. I've had an opportunity to learn a lot about kids, about families, about parent-kid relationships. And a few years ago, I was just jotting down some notes, some observations that I had made over the years. And out of those observations and out of those experiences come this message today. And we're going to go through it quickly. And there's a, this could be a book. I know that. And each, each one of the points I make could be a chapter in the book. I know that maybe one day when I'm old and got nothing else to do, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and write a book. But I, I just want to pass on, if you'll let me, some of the lessons that I have learned about kids, about parents and kids, about the way God works in the lives of kids, to share with the parents and the adults in this, in this room today some lessons I've learned that if you'll listen to me, if you'll heed them, if you'll put them into practice, you're going to find that the relationships with your kids will change, will become healthier. Their relationship with God will become stronger than you ever dreamed possible. But it's, these are things that you have to put into practice. Don't just hear the Word. you got to do the Word to be blessed by the Word. Amen? So listen carefully as I share this with you. I'd like, I want to share with you eight things that I wish every parent knew. The first thing I, every parent should know is this. You are primarily responsible for the spiritual health of your child. You, parent, are re primarily responsible for the spiritual health of your child. Not the church, not the youth pastor, not the children's pastor, not the children's worker. You, mom and dad. You're primarily responsible for their spiritual health. Deuteronomy gives us instructions and that's the thing I want you to know as well. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells the people of Israel, He's telling us today the same thing. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart, mom and dad. They're to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. It's your responsibility, mom and dad, to impress upon your children their need for a Savior. Their need to follow God. It's your responsibility. And it happens in every church we've been part of. This happens in every church we've been part of. Some parents either have someone else bring their kids to church or they drop their kids off at church and, and, and drive away. Thinking somehow the church is going to impart to that child the knowledge they need, the spiritual knowledge they need to grow in Christ. They treat the church sometimes like it's a skating center or a daycare center. And it's not. It's so clear in the Word of God that God gives parents the responsibility to disciple their children in the ways and the will of God. We as the church, as your youth pastor, as your children's pastor, as the we're your partners. We're not your surrogates. You hear me? 
We're your partners, and we want to be good partners. And so we've established these programs that you've seen today. We want to be good partners, but we cannot be your surrogates. There's nobody that can take your place in the life of your child. Nobody. Every survey of young people I've ever seen says that parents have the greatest influence on the life of their child. Not their friends. Not the media. Not their coach. Not their youth pastor. Every survey I've ever seen says that it's the parents that exert the greatest influence in the life of their child. There is no substitute for a child's parents in the life of that child. So parents, I urge you, use every ounce of your influence. Every ounce of influence you have on your kid, use it to point them to Christ Jesus. It's your primary responsibility as the parent. Others like us, we can help. But you as the parent, ultimately hold that key position in influencing your child for Christ. And as you parent your child, I want you to remember this. Mom and dad, listen to me closely. I want you to remember this. The only earthly possession that you will take to heaven is your child. That car that you spend so much time with, or that hobby you spend so much time with, that job you spend, none of that's going to heaven with you. The only possession you're going to take to heaven with you is your child. So you make sure that child becomes the focus of your priorities. And you exert every ounce of influence you can to point them to Christ. The second thing I would, I wish, the second thing I wish every parent knew is this. One of your main objectives is to help your child develop priorities in their life. How many of you have realized already you can't do everything? And you can't make everybody happy? You have to set priorities in your life. Now as, a, as adults, we know that life is really no more than a series of choices that we make based on the set of priorities that we have. As adults, we know that the quality of our lives the joy and the peace we experience, that sense of well-being, we know that it's, it's really the accumulated effect of the choices that we make. Right? Choices make us who we are. Choices determine the outcomes of our lives. So one of the most important things we can do for our children is to help them learn to make the right choices. Help them set the right priorities. Help them value the right things. Teach them to make the best choices by helping them set the best priorities. I was talking to a, you, you guys are all going to identify with this, I was talking to a grandmother the other day who is trying to help raise her grandchildren. And she was telling me how she picked three grandchildren up and then she literally became a taxi service for those grandchildren toting them from practice or appointment. And I'm, I'm, I was thinking to myself, how many of our parents do that? You, you, are you, all you are is a glorified taxi service, taking your kid from one team practice to another practice to an appointment. And somehow we have it in our minds in this culture, I've got to make everything available to my parents, uh, to my kids. 
If there is something they can be part of, I need to get them in it. And the reality is we can't do everything. We can't be everything to everybody. We have to set choice, we have to make choices, set priorities. And the problem is, so often what I'm finding is all these other priorities and all these other choices are squeezing out the priority of Christ Jesus in their life. Even to the point now where it used to be that Wednesday nights were pretty much sacred in the community. No school, nobody would schedule anything on a Wednesday night because they wanted kids to go to church. But guess what's happening now? Everything's being scheduled anytime, everywhere. They don't care. But it's because we have lost sight of the priority of, t of telling our kids about Christ, of having them involved in church programs that disciple them in the Lord. Let me remind you what Matthew 6.33 says. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we allow a hobby or a TV show or a team or even a job to consistently interfere with our family's participation in worship and fellowship and study and service, we're helping our kid establish a priority. We're pushing God to the side and saying, this is more important. And that's a priority that will negatively affect their choices and I believe ultimately affect their life and their well-being. If our relationship with God and God's family is of secondary importance to something else, then they become of secondary importance to our kids as well. We have to make sure they understand nothing in our family comes before God. We make the worship of God our priority number one. We make the serving God our priority number one. We need to establish the pursuit of God and His will as the number one priority in our home. Not school, not work, not teams, not hobbies, not friends. God. Because if we keep God first, all the other stuff falls into place. If we keep God first, all the other stuff falls into place. Third thing, you're the parent, not necessarily the friend. You're the parent, not necessarily the friend. Parenting is not a popularity contest. It's a heavy responsibility that carries eternal repercussions. In our efforts to be cool and gain the approval of our kids, we sometimes blur the lines between friendship and parenthood. Friends always tell other friends yes. But sometimes parents have to say, that's an empowering word, parent. Say it with me. No. That is a really empowering word. You need to use it more frequently than you do. Say it with me again. Don't you feel the rush of power? I'm not saying, you know, I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Listen, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Say it with me again. No. No. Kids are looking for boundaries. And they're always testing those boundaries. And when they test those boundaries, what do they need to hear? Listen, God never said parenting would be easy. He did say parenting is necessary. It's necessary to the development of healthy, godly children. Know the boundaries. 
Be clear about the boundaries. Clearly explain to your child what those boundaries are. Listen, it's clear boundaries that give kids a sense of security. It's clear boundaries that help them set a good set of values. Establish a good set of priorities. It's clear boundaries that provide an atmosphere for healthy relationships to flourish. Make sure that kids understand the consequences of ignoring or violating those boundaries. And then follow through. Don't be inconsistent. When you were growing up, didn't you hate inconsistency? Didn't you want to know what the boundaries were? Didn't you want to know what the consequences would be if you violated those boundaries? And didn't you hate it when there was inconsistency in it? Whether the kids like it or not, be a parent, not a friend. The fourth thing I wish every parent knew is that you need to love your child unconditionally. No matter what, love your child and let them know you love them with all of your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 puts it this way, love is patient, love is kind. It gives us a description here. It does not envy, it does not boast, it isn't proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Your child needs to know that you love them like that. When you discipline them, they need to know that you love them like that. If your child can't find love and acceptance from you, he or she will find it somewhere. Boys often try to find it through rebellion or through performance, achievement. Girls often try to find love and acceptance through promiscuous behavior. Make sure they're finding love and acceptance from you. When a mistake is made, a child needs to know that you love them anyway. That the mistake doesn't change the way you think about them, the way you feel about them. When you, I was talking to a parent this week about discipline. I don't know about you, but sometimes I was tempted to discipline my kid, not because they misbehaved, but because they, they embarrassed me. Does that make sense? I wasn't going to discipline the child because they misbehaved. They violated the boundary. I've caught myself disciplining the child because they embarrassed me. Is that a good motivation? Absolutely. Good. I'm glad you knew that. Make sure that what you do, the choices you make, the decisions you make, are for the child's good. That's what love does. Love acts out of what's best for the other person, not for yourself. Does that make sense? That's what unconditional love is. Make sure when your child is corrected, you're doing it out of a sense of love for them. Not because you, you, you've been embarrassed. Not because you've been humiliated in their behavior, but because you love them and you only want what's best for them. The mistake needs to be corrected. The consequences need to be faced. But don't let the mistake change the way you feel about that boy or girl as your child. In a similar way, can I say this? The flip side of it is this. Your child needs to know that, there's, that success cannot make you love them more. 
How many of you have been in a Little League game? Come on. A kid gets up to bat, crucial out, strikes out. The little, the, the, the dad's, the, the, the child's dad is the coach at third base. When his kid strikes out, what does the dad do? Turns his back on the kid and walks away. Come on, you've seen it, right? Next bat, the kid hits a home run. What does the dad do? Yeah, it goes right into the kid. What message have you just given that child? I only love you when you succeed, boy. When you do well, when you perform at the level I expect, then I'll love you. They need to know you love them when they fail just as much as you love them when they succeed. It's not about success. It's not about performance. It's not about failure. It's about love. Love. I love you and I accept you unconditionally. Parenting is a journey. Next one. Not a destination. Parenting is a journey, not a destination. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Let me remind you, mom and dad, that maturation is a process that requires time to grow and room to fail. Maturation is a process. If you're expecting perfection out of that three-year-old, boy, are you going to be disappointed. If you're expecting perfection out of your 13-year-old, you're going to be disappointed. It's a process that requires time to grow and room to fail. If you will be faithful to that child and to the Lord, that child will grow up and become the person God wants him to be in due season, not right away. Some of us sometimes place unrealistic expectations on our children and it scars them for life. Let's not let that happen to us. The secret to raising a child, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can determine from the Word of God, the secret to raising a spiritually healthy child is this. Prayer, consistency, patience, stability, patience, appropriate expectations, patience, correction, patience, Encouragement, patience, you get the idea. <laughs> Hold your breath. God's not done working yet. It's okay. Step back. Get, get a, a big picture overview of what God is doing in that child. Remember how far the child has come. Celebrate that for a moment. And then step back into the picture to deal with the issue at hand. Patience. Patience, patience, patience is the key as God works this process out in the life of your child. Seven. Is that six? Well, I must have miscounted. Authority. Authority is easier to exercise when it's earned. You listen to me, boy, I'm your dad. I haven't talked to you in two weeks. Why should I hear anything you have to say? Authority is easier to exercise when it's earned. Ephesians 6.4 puts it this way, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Authority is defined as the right to exercise power. 
We know God has the right to exercise His power over humanity with or without our consent. However, however, listen to me, God chooses to earn the right to exercise His power over us. He earns the right to exercise His power over us by clearly demonstrating His love for us, His goodness to us, His wisdom, His grace. God earns the right to be listened to, although He could demand it. Instead, He chooses to earn it by showing us how good He is, how loving He is. In the same way, guys, parents, a parent can exercise power over their children, but it's much more easily exercised when it's been earned through godly living, a loving relationship. There's an old uh, youth ministry mantra that we used to, I used to throw this out all the time, and I'm going to throw it out to you today, and you need to write it down and live by it. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. If you're trying to implement and exercise your authority, but you have no relationship with the one over whom you want to exercise that authority, what are they going to do? They may listen because they're afraid of you, but as soon as you walk out the door, they'll do what they want. He ain't the boss of me. Finally, faithfulness to God is the key to good parenting. Faithfulness to God is the key to good parenting. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Sometimes we're so busy trying to monitor the behavior of our kid, we forget, wait a minute, I might be the one out of line here. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right and God will save you and those who hear you. Listen, if, you, if your walk matches your talk, then you and your kids are in pretty good shape. If your walk matches your talk, then you're in pretty good shape. You need to understand this. Your children are watching you. And if you are, and they are evaluating their response to Christianity and what the Bible has to say based on what they see in you and how you respond to Christianity in the Bible. If your religion is harsh and judgmental and self-righteous, that's how they're going to see God. It's just, as, as, uh, harsh. If your religion is weak, if your walk with the Lord is weak, if it vacillates, if it's inconsistent, if it lacks conviction, then the response of your kids to Christ are going to be colored by what they've experienced at home with you. Here's another great principle, probably, probably in every parenting book ever written. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. That means you need to start looking at yourself. When you see your child beginning to stray away, why don't you stop for a moment and reflect about where you are in your walk with the Lord before you start trying to correct the behavior of the child. Faithfulness to God is a key to good parenting. I'm going to finish it up. I'm running out of time. Psalm 127 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I want to ask you a question. 
What good is a beautiful house or a big bank account if the people living inside spending that money don't know the joy and the peace of a happy home? What good is it? It's not much good at all, is it? Children are our heritage and they are a reward from God and we need to appreciate them. We need to guard them. The Bible, this verse is one of my favorites because it says the kids are like arrows that if they're aimed in the right direction can go further and shoot straighter than we ever dreamed. I'm watching God take my sons and do stuff with them I could not do at their age. Because we have tried to implement much of what I have talked about this morning in our own home. And I see them doing things that I couldn't do at their age. They already understand things I didn't understand at their age. They're already influencing other people in ways I couldn't when I was their age because they have a greater understanding than I do of things than I did at their age. I want the same thing for your family. I want... Listen, man, this, this, is, this is the unbelievable potential that lies within the hearts of each of these kids. If we knew what God wanted to do in them and through them, it would blow us away. It would probably terrify you as a parent that someone that powerful is living under your roof. A world changer like that under your roof. Noah Crawford's a world changer. Austin is a world changer. Jaden is a world changer. They have the potential to do things that we never dreamed we would ever see happen. They have the power to walk into a room and change the complete spiritual temperature in that room simply by being there. They're like a fresh canvas. God's only begun now to paint on that canvas the masterpiece that He has in mind for them. And we get to participate in that. We don't know where they're going to go. We don't know what they're going to do. But if we do our job right as parents and as a church, God only knows the lives that will be saved and transformed by these world changers. It's the most important responsibility we have. We need to see it that way. These children are our heritage. They are our reward. They are arrows that will fly further than we ever dreamed. Shoot straighter than we ever imagined. Do things. Do things that will blow our minds. And that's why we need to throw ourselves as parents and as a church into raising godly kids. God, kids that know the Word of God. Kids that know Jesus and Jesus knows them. Kids with character. Kids that won't be influenced by the world. But kids who have a heart for their Savior. That's who we ought to be. And I think that's who God is calling us to be. And I take seriously that challenge. Always have, always will. Are you with me?